When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. back it's the world soccer talk podcast the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on tv online and apps in episode 116 we discuss espn plus goes copa crazy and what that means for their competitors chris and kartik's excellent adventure at the fifa press conference a u.s broadcaster picks up the rights to the international champions cup our favorite games of the week plus letters from you the listeners in our mailbag section my name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnair. Now, Kartik, this past week has flown by. There's been so much going on. Um, just just two things, and there's a bunch of other stuff happening too, but two things last week. Uh, last Thursday, we went to the David Beckham press conference at Lockhart Stadium uh, for their hopes of getting that stadium for Inter Miami, the new Major League Soccer team that starts next season. And then Friday, we went to Miami for the press conference uh, for FIFA, where they made some big announcements about the Club World Cup. And they were expected to make a big announcement about uh, Qatar in 2022, increasing the number of teams to 48. But uh, they announced that they're going to be going ahead with a feasibility study to, and they're not quite ready, probably in June, they'll be ready to, to make, a <coughs> make an announcement there. Um, Without going in too in-depth into the Miami, uh, what's your take on, on the story about Lockhart? Is this good news for Fort Lauderdale? And this is, is this a, a sign that Miami can't get its act together? Yeah, I mean, that's consumed my week. I'll admit I haven't watched a lot of soccer. I've been really focused on a lot of soccer because of that, that story. Uh, is it a good deal for Fort Lauderdale? Uh, the city? Probably, yes. Is it a good deal for uh, soccer fans in South Florida? Yes and no. I mean, that that's, uh, that, that, that's the big question. I think there was a, a split between how hardcore soccer fans viewed the situation many wanting an independent team at Lockhart Stadium and how soccer professionals and city officials who have to look over the city's finances and take um, the best financial deal possible for, for the city uh, and the most lucrative deal from a public relations standpoint for the city viewed it um, now what does it mean about Miami that is still to be determined um, in fact uh, had we been recording an hour later I might have had more information on that so I've got a phone call that that uh, I'll be uh, getting some more information on what's going on specifically politically in Miami-Dade County and with uh, the city of Miami, more importantly, uh, in, in the wake of the Lockhart decision. So um, the, the bottom line is Major League Soccer, uh, should uh, the, the, the city and uh, Inter-Miami now, um, they have the green light, negotiate a, a, uh, a lease uh, agreement or, or, or some sort of uh, agreement about the property in, in the next few weeks, um, the uh, uh, the MLS club in South Florida will be playing in Fort Lauderdale, much like the last MLS club. And this would be the fifth team um, in the history of professional soccer in South Florida since the mid-70s that either began playing in Miami or intended to begin, begin playing in Miami and then move north to Fort Lauderdale. So that's a, that's a little bit of an underlying theme for people who may not know the area very well and may not know the history and may always wonder why these teams end up in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I've written extensively about it, not at World Soccer Talk, but at other sites. You can just uh, hit Google and, and look up Lockhart and history and, and, and that sort of stuff for my name and, and, and find those articles. Yeah, my, my take on this is, is that um, 
Miami. There's a reason that MLS is coming to Lockhart and to Fort Lauderdale, and that's because time's running out. I mean, the stadium is supposed to open, whichever stadium they go to, in March for the next season. And Lockhart was is their best possibility, and it looks like it's it's going to be uh, the stadium that they're going to be using, which is good news for soccer fans in South Florida. Bad news for Miami, but but uh, Miami's had plenty of chances, plenty of luck, plenty of meetings with uh, city officials and county officials, and have just not been able to make it happen. So um, yeah, it'll, it'll be an interesting season next season for us, Kartik. Yeah, let me also say, just from the city of Miami perspective, I, they, they, Miami has a lot of uh, public assets. Miami has a lot of uh, attractiveness. They don't need necessarily to um, roll over and uh, give up public land and give up uh, uh, potential park space uh, to uh, a major league sports franchise or a, or a big football club the way uh, Fort Lauderdale. It's just it's not as important in Miami as it would be in Fort Lauderdale. It won't do necessarily as much for the image of the city. So I can't blame the city of Miami. I know a lot of soccer fans have been beating up on them and saying uh, Miami is a corrupt place and, uh, and this is why they can't get anything done there. No, it's actually because Miami uh, and Miami-Dade County have laws in place that that uh, prevent rush deals and, and, and public corruption that it was much easier to get a deal done in Broward County. So um, I want to ba- I want to uh, uh, push back on some of the stereotypes of Miami that have been thrown out there um, as someone who lives in Broward County, much closer to Fort Lauderdale than Miami. It's it's I guess good for me in terms of being able to go and see Major League Soccer in, in uh, live in person. But the the talk that this is because Miami is an incredibly corrupt place and maybe the politicians want to be bought off. I don't subscribe to that. There, in fact, like I said, because Miami has that reputation, they're overly cautious about these sorts of things, and because they've been burnt by another professional sports franchise, namely the Miami Marlins. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to what we've been watching this past week. Um, like you said, uh, Kartik, um, well, it was an FA Cup weekend anyway, though. But but uh, you probably you didn't watch as much, and I, I I watched a fair bit of games, but not as much as I, I normally do with everything going on. Um, my highlight of the week had to be, oh God, Kartik, Swansea City against Manchester City. As a neutral watching this game, I, I'm not a neutral, but if I was a neutral, this was a, a, an extremely exciting game. Um, you mean a plucky championship side playing in the rain uh, against Manchester City, arguably one of the best teams the, on the planet right now. And uh, Swansea deservedly took a 2-0 lead and and in this game really entertaining City fighting back and uh, City gets um, their first goal no problem Uh, Bernardo Silva completely deserved brilliant piece of skill I think hits it with the outside of his boot and then goals 2 and goals 3 for Manchester City were uh, if there was VAR and VAR was used in select FA Cup games over the weekend uh, those games that were where the Premier League club was hosting the game, VAR was used. Uh, in all the other games, VAR was not used. Uh, and in goals two and goals, th- goals three would have been overruled if VAR was in place. So really, for a Swansea fan, I was demoralized, depressed. Uh, it, it, felt, it felt like last season for me. It felt like being in the Premier League and, and watching my team and having my hopes up and and almost getting relegated or kicked in the teeth. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I held my head up high and I was like, okay, this is a, a really fantastic performance by Swansea, uh, especially the, uh, uh, the second goal that they scored, uh, which was classic Man City, tiki-taka, all the way down the pitch, beautiful goal by uh, Bersan uh, Cellina, who used to play for Manchester City. But for me, as a soccer fan, I, I love this game. This was, from, from beginning to end, a really classic FA Cup encounter. And Manchester City moves on to the semifinals of the, next, of the FA Cup. Kartik, what about you? What was your highlight of the week um, from all the games you watched? Yeah, so it would have to be the Hertha Berlin Dortmund match uh, that came down to the end. Marco Royce popping up and getting a goal in stoppage time, keeping Dortmund level on points with Bayern. Although it seems like every week it's hard work for Dortmund; they're needing to rally and get late goals, whereas Bayern are beating teams six 0 So that's uh, the the sort of the, the the split there. The last two weeks Dortmund has needed late uh, heroics to, to to get through uh, against lesser sides. In fact, the previous week it was against a side uh, Stuttgart that is probably going to get relevant. Delegated, um, and uh, and that was at home. Uh, this week it was against Hertha Berlin, a mid-table side. Uh, 
whereas Bayern won six nil, but it was just a thrilling match. Yeah. Every Dortmund game has been exciting. Uh, this is uh, both good and bad. It's just defensively the issues that seem to have been sorted out um, under uh, Lucien Favre uh, have uh, the, the, the the defensive uh, things going back to. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's last season, 2014-2015 season. Now they seem to have just reappeared. And while very exciting, and I haven't missed a Dortmund game in a while, it's also um, edge-of-your-seat stuff and and not uh, not the way teams win titles, right? Even though they're, they're scoring lots of late goals, uh, conceding so regularly is, uh, is a sign of a club that's not going to win a title. Yeah, and at the same time, Bayern Munich is uh, you mean steamrolling side six nil and yeah. scoring goals plenty. So in terms of the goal difference, uh, it's it's going up and up and up. The the, 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 the thing about this game, Kartik, the uh, Hertha Berlin game against Dortmund, great commentary by Phil Barney and uh, Thomas Broich. Uh, I watched this one. I watched probably the last ten minutes of the game. Um, probably good timing, really, after the Swansea Man City game, and just really fantastic commentary. Really passion, excitement. Uh, Phil Bonney just did a great job of just really pulling the viewer in and just celebrating with them uh, on this fantastic uh, late drama in that match. Just uh, great stuff. As far as some of the other games I watched, um, watched Leeds United against Sheffield United. Uh, a big win there for Sheffield United. Only had one shot on target the whole game and they scored and win the game 1-0. Uh, Burnley-Leicester. Uh, we'll also watch uh, Wolves against Man United. Uh, NYC FC against LAFC. So this, I was at my brother-in-law's house, and it was on a Sunday afternoon. And my br- brother-in-law said to me, "He said, Chris, um, let, let me see what's on television. See if there's any soccer games on." Because he, he probably saw I was a little bit bored. See, so I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check on uh, uh, FS1." So we switched on uh, NYC FC, LAFC, and honestly, Kartik, I probably watched about ten seconds of this game, maybe fifteen seconds of this game. And I said, no, it's okay. Go ahead and just change it back to golf or whatever you were watching because I, I can't watch this. I mean, it, it's to me, it's just a horrible look. I mean, it's one. It's bad enough to probably be in the stadium uh, and seeing this pitch that's, I mean, just looks horrible. It, it's horrible on a good day. Uh, it looked absolutely awful. And on television, it looked, it just looked unappealing. Um, this, this to me, this is not soccer, Kartik. This, this is just a really bad look. Yeah, and you wonder why uh, MLS, uh, we assume, did not want uh, Inter Miami playing at Marlins Park. They, the the pullout of the Marlins Park deal is what uh, uh, predicated this uh, this rush or, or a potential Marlins Park deal or any thought of Marlins Park. There was no Marlins Park deal. Excuse me, I, 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 wrong word usage. There uh, is what uh, pushed this 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 rush to uh, Lockhart Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. But uh, you have to think, even if the staff at Inter Miami was considering uh, Marlins Park. MLS probably said, no, no, we can't afford to go through another one of these. It's just a very bad look. Uh, having worked with the NASL, we had um, multiple teams at one point that were playing on baseball uh, fields or baseball configured stadiums for soccer, and it's just uh, it just never works. Yeah, that's the thing, though, too. If I'm Major League Soccer and I'm like, setting up a new team or you know, I mean, a team moves to a new stadium, the first thing I, I look at is, okay, aesthetics. I, I want to have, I, as a soccer fan, I want to watch a soccer game on a grass pitch. I want to watch a game on a real surface where the surface is not going to either favor or uh, not favor the other team. I, I want it to be a fair, good-looking pitch. I mean, that's not much to ask for, really. But, but the other match I watched, and this was Cincinnati against Portland uh, later in the day on Sunday, and a great atmosphere in the, in the stadium. I mean, the home first game in MLS, um, you know, packed stadium, good, good atmosphere. But again, it, this is like I was like looking at the pitch. I'm like, why are they using a rubber pitch, a, a pitch with those rubber pellets? I mean, why, can't, why why couldn't they put grass in there? Because what happened is, is as you watch the ball go around the pitch, the ball sometimes would slow down uh, when it shouldn't. Other times, I mean, players would be I mean, kicking in midfield and, and like rubber pellets going everywhere. And and the thing is, is that these rubber pellets, the jury is still out on whether or not these rubber pellets uh, that are being used are a cause or a risk of, of causing cancer. Because, it, I mean, many of these stadiums that have been used that have these pitches, 
I think the EU is looking at this too, whether or not to ban them, because there's, uh, there's a concern. There's been different health reports that say that uh, – because a lot of these rubber pitchers, or these pitchers with rubber pellets, use these pellets from old recycled tires, which contain low concentrations of you know, hazardous and cancer-causing chemicals. So the jury's still out whether or not these are actually even safe for the players. There, there is a lawsuit out there, I think, from a goalkeeper that uh, was suing because that um, he got you know, rubber pellets, you know, probably swallowed them in a gold mouth incident. It's not a safe look. But even for the TV viewer, to me, watching this game, I'm like, oh, my God, why can't they use grass? Because for me as a viewer, it, it turns me off. It, it, just, it just changes the whole viewing experience of, of watching a game. Kartik, uh, anything else you watched uh, this past week that stood out? Uh, no, the same thing. The Cincinnati-Portland uh, game, uh, similar observations about the turf, and that's just uh, general observations about the turf in general. Also have to mention that that uh, was another consideration. We keep coming back to this theme for Inter-Miami. Uh, had a lot of back and forth yesterday about FIU and um, why FIU, which is in Miami-Dade County. I, I want to I stress this to people who, again, don't know the area. FIU Stadium has a Miami address because it is in unincorporated Miami-Dade County and uh, – that is its uh, postal zone. However, it is not in the city of Miami. In fact, it's it's it. Some people in the city of Miami tell me it's easier to get to Fort Lauderdale than to FIU. I don't know. I don't live in, in the city of Miami. I, FIU is closer than Fort Lauderdale is, but again, it's the way traffic is in South Florida. But Inter Miami's Paul McDonough says the reason they never really considered FIU, and again went for a deal, uh, went north to Fort Lauderdale to, to to get a deal for a stadium was because of the turf, and um. That, I guess, may have been a club consideration because it seems like MLS uh, on the macro level doesn't seem to care about that. But um, McDonough was in uh, Orlando uh, year one and two. They they were on turf and moved to grass. And then he was in Atlanta where they have turf. Uh, but perhaps he, he thinks it's it's a real consideration in terms of signing players. And that's that's what he indicated. The other thing, too, about uh, playing on these rubber turf pitches is injuries. Uh, anyone who's played on these pitches can attest to, I mean, these burns that you'll get on, on these types of pitches. Yes, they're better than what they used to be. But uh, but for me, I, for Inter Miami, I, I applaud them that if they're looking for a, you mean, a stadium that has a grass pitch, something they can customize to be their own, Lockhart's a perfect uh, match for that. And you look at FIU, which has turf, uh, basically a rubber pitch. You look at Marlins Park, which is a baseball stadium. The only two stadiums that are really left are Hard Rock Stadium and um, and Lockhart. And Hard Rock has the uh, Miami Open tennis tournament. They have International Champions Cup. They have the Miami Dolphins. They have the, the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, they have a bunch of other friendlies going on too. So there's, I mean, they would be playing second or third fiddle uh, to the Dolphins with no guarantee of, of uh, having ex- ex- exclusivity on uh, when they can actually play the matches. Lockhart, they do. The Lockhart would be, would be theirs to make sure that that's priority number one, making sure that those games are going to be played. So um, the other thing, Kartik, about Miami, so just I, I don't want to go into a lot of depth about this, but this was eye-opening to me. So last Friday we attended the FIFA press conference, and um, this was a big deal. Because there were two major stories that were happening that week. Uh, first of all was the U.S. women's national team um, players filing a lawsuit against U.S. soccer, um, you know, wanting e- equal pay. And this was something that came out uh, the Friday before. So it was still a hot topic last week in Miami. And the second thing was is that that week, um, more than 100 clubs had signed a letter asking for uh, a discussion, a dialogue with uh, USSF President Carlos Cordero. And that letter was handed uh, or distributed to uh, Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, as well as all the FIFA members. And uh, that, was, that was big news too that week. So it was a perfect opportunity to be in Miami uh, to ask the questions. We were in the press conference as, as members of the media. Uh, the two things that were... I guess illuminating to me. One, one is, is that the lack of U.S. soccer media that were there. So ESPN was there. Jeffrey Carlisle was there uh, doing some great, great reporting and investigating there. Uh, so too was Being Sports. Uh, Jeremy St. Louis was there doing um, reports from uh, the press conference. And World Soccer Talk. Other than that, there was no Fox Sports uh, on the English language side. 
<clears throat> and, and don't forget that FIFA, Fox is the FIFA rights holder. So there's big news coming out of Miami that's ha- has a, that will have an impact on Fox's rights to the Club World Cup in terms of the, the tournament being expanded. Uh, discussion about uh, 48 teams for Qatar. And you would think that, I don't know, Grant Wall, Fox Bo- so- soccer uh, uh, news reporter, or somebody would have been there. Um, NBC, I, c- I can see. I mean, they don't have a daily news show, so and, and they're very focused on the Premier League. So, But to me, I was first really shocked about the lack of, of, of U.S. soccer media there. Even like, I don't know, Soccer America, Washington Post, Yahoo Sports, you go down the list, I mean, Goal.com, none of them were there. So that, that was the first thing. The second thing for me, Kartik, that I was, I think, you, you know, I, I, I was upset. I was really upset th- at this. So when it became the, the time in the press conference to open up questions to the media, uh, you know, if you're interested, you raise your hand. Um, and, and then the press officer goes ahead and then selects the people that, uh, to ask questions. And this was a really interesting thing for me to watch because, yes, okay, they went to the New York Times, uh, they went to the Associated Press, uh, they went to Reuters, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then they started looking at the other media to see who was wanting to ask a question. I was a person that raised my hand. I got a nod from the FIFA press officer. The, okay, okay, yeah, I see you, you raised your hand. Uh, I'll, I'll be to you, to you in a few minutes or so. Then there was the CONCACAF press officer who was standing beside me, went ahead and looked at my badge, looked at my name, and then was texting the FIFA press officer. And who knows what he said? I can, I can imagine what he said. But they went ahead and skipped me. <laughs> and not only did they skip me, they skipped all of U.S. soccer media. ESPN was there, Jeffrey Carlisle raising his hand, wanting to ask a question. They purposely made sure that no members of the press from U.S. soccer media were able to ask questions. Which then, I mean, from FIFA's perspective and from the perspective of U.S. soccer, everything's rosy, everything's great, everything's wonderful. There's no hard questions, no tough questions asked about the U.S. women's national team lawsuit or about this letter that has been signed by more than 100 clubs in the United States asking for a dialogue about opening up the system to have possibilities of at least promotion relegation, which is part of FIFA's Article 9 Last but not least, Kartik, uh, you were there, you were beside me. So the press conference ends, uh, Jeffrey Carlisle jumps up, goes over to Carlos Cordero and says, hey, do you have a few minutes? Uh, I, I, I stand up too, as, as, as do you, Kartik, to see if we can get into to ask some questions. And the, the CONCACAF press officer says, yeah, 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 yeah no, no problem. Uh, and then Carlos Cordero goes out a side door, kind of a, a back door, um, which no one's allowed through except for you mean the press officers and and the the members of you mean FIFA members etc. He goes out the, the, the back door, and then the press officer says, says "Okay, yep, uh, he'll meet you in the lobby." As then Jeffrey Carlisle and and ourselves we go over to the lobby to go ahead and get ready to ask questions. The press officer comes to the lobby and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Carlos is gone." And that was it. Uh, th- so there was no opportunities, not one opportunity to ask one question. And to me, it was illuminating and sickening, really, is that this is how press conferences. And I, I've had the same experience at U.S. men's national team press conferences. Um, and, and we've I, I've gotten a lot of criti- criticism. Or cr- there's been a lot of criticism in the past that U.S. soccer media just ask softball questions. The questions that they ask are not really direct, strong questions. And here's an example of a press conference in our backyard, essentially, uh, with an opportunity to ask some tough questions and get some good answers back to, 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 find, to find out what is going on with this lawsuit, what is going on with this letter, and you're cut off. You're, you're blocked. You're basically black, blackballed, not allowed to actually ask questions. And, and this goes a long way to showing why U.S. soccer is so protected they're doing it. You mean they're, they're making sure that this, this, this doesn't ha- that, that the people like me and others don't ask questions, don't ask those tough questions, especially in front of an international audience, in an international media audience, where they may not. I mean, uh, Associated Press and these reporters from the New York Times and from from England, etc., may not realize what's going on in the United States. Kartik, anyway, I, that, that's my that's my rant uh, for the day. But I was really upset by, by this. Yeah, it, it, I think that there was um, 
you know, also just kind of a disinterest in, in, in international governance issues among a lot of U.S. press, which might be might explain why they didn't uh, come down uh, to Miami for this. In, in fairness, the budgets are tight, and we just had the She Believes Cup, and now we have two U.S. men's uh, national team matches. We had the opening of the stadium in Cincinnati. Those sorts of things do take priority among American soccer writers. I'm not uh, justifying it. I'm just saying that's that's probably uh, – uh, not the opening of the stadium in Cincinnati. Sorry, they don't have their new stadium yet, but they're – first MLS home match, uh, which was at Nippert Stadium on the campus of the University of Cincinnati. So I think those are probably the considerations. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, she believes one of the matches, U.S. matches, was in Florida, and so is uh, this upcoming U.S. friendly against Ecuador. But um, uh, they weren't able to kind of swing three trips to Florida, I guess, for a lot of these folks. But but, but this is probably the first time FIFA's ever met in the United States for a meeting. You know, this, this is a historic occasion. I, I mean, in my 14 years of covering soccer in the United States, I, I mean, FIFA never came uh, to this country in, the, in that time. Usually they would go to the Bahamas for most of the meetings uh, under Blatter in, in this region. So, so it's a big deal. And, and to me, I, I mean, the U.S.-Ecuador game that's coming up and uh, the other U.S. women's national team and, and men's national team friendlies, you can almost guarantee that there'll probably be, what, 50 to 100 members of the media there, sometimes probably, say, Gold.com as one example, or Fox Soccer, they might have three or four people there. So to me, it's like, okay, how about sending one of those people, instead of sending them to the U.S. men's national team or or, uh, men's or women's, send that one person to Miami. Have them report on this. Um, I I was just flabbergasted, Kartik. I just really, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but... uh, I was I was really upset by this. I mean, and and it, it's par for the course. I mean, this has been time after time where uh, we've been blocked from asking questions, and uh, you know, I, it, it is what it is. And um, I will keep on uh, asking those questions or trying to ask those questions. But I wanted to share the story just to let listeners know, because oftentimes on, on Twitter, people are complaining, saying like, "Ah, the U.S. soccer media is is soft." Part of it is that we don't have the access. Part of it is that uh, Carlos Codero doesn't make himself available for press conferences, even to a telephone press conference. Uh, not as much as other uh, presidents of other countries that do it quite often. So it's, um, it's not a good relationship uh, overall between the media and uh, U.S. soccer, and, and here's a perfect example of that, of CONCACAF going in. It's not even the U.S. soccer press officer. It was the CONCACAF press officer going in and blocking, uh, preventing us from asking questions. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, World Soccer Talk is reporting uh, or has reported uh, that ESPN Plus has acquired the rights for the Copa America in the United States in English and in Portuguese. Remember, the Spanish language rights uh, have gone elsewhere. So that was an out, that that we reported on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, as I uh, think back this week, and uh, pretty significant that again, more and more properties seem to be uh, falling behind that uh, OTT paywall with ESPN Plus. However. Have to stress this once again, Chris. ESPN Plus is significantly more accessible in terms of uh, price than most other OTT services. Yeah, so the Spanish uh, language rights to Copa America still is with Telemundo, and then the Portuguese and English language rights on ESPN Plus. This is this is huge news because um, I mean, really, ESPN Plus is leaving the competition behind in the dust. Uh, you look at say DAZN, which uh, even. Two months ago, three months ago, we had high hopes. We thought, okay, DAZN's going to come into the U.S. market pretty strong on the soccer side. And uh, we understood that they were actively trying to acquire uh, soccer rights, uh, even from current rights holders, asking them, hey, uh, do you have some uh, excess inventory, is what they call it. You I mean, some, some games that maybe you don't mind kind of sublicensing to DAZN. That hasn't happened, and, and DAZN, the feedback we've gotten just in, even in the last po- uh, couple of podcasts, has been disappointing, where, whether it's the J-League or the uh, AFC Champions League. Um, they're not showing all the games. They're only showing a small selection of the games. So, I mean, they're definitely all in on um, MMA and UFC and boxing and kind of those types of sports. But soccer, it's been disappointing. But, I mean, you look at elsewhere, too. I mean, ESPN Plus is by far... I mean, for four ninety nine a month, it's crazy. I mean, in terms of all the content that they have, and um, 
you still get people, and I, I can't believe this. You still get still get people complaining though, like, oh, I, I, it's, I, I'm not going to subscribe to that. That's why should I have to pay for that? Well, you, you're paying for it because you have access now. If you want to pay for it, you you have access now to a ton of competitions and leagues and games that you would never have have had on television. And that's the thing too. With uh, this summer, you got Copa America happening um, from June to July. You've got the Women's World Cup. You've got the Gold Cup. All three competitions happening at the same time. All three competitions having their final uh, on the last day of the, the, the tournaments on the same day. So the likelihood that this game would have been put on television is extremely unlikely just because there's so much competition, so many, so many things happening at the same time. Now, if you're a fan of Copa America or you want to watch the best of South American soccer from Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, etc., ESPN Plus is the way to go. I mean, you get all these games in English language. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer, um, in, in addition to all the other coverage that they have. The interesting thing for me, Kartik, is what about Fox? I mean, just to think, it wasn't that long ago that Fox had the rights to the Premier League, Champions League, Bundesliga, Serie A, Copa America, Copa Libertadores, and several other competitions. And I can't even remember the last time that Fox has acquired any new soccer TV rights or soccer rights other than the World Cup, which they won the bid for in 2011, and the Bundesliga, which they won the bid for in 2013. And that was a, a global deal. That really wasn't a, a U.S. deal uh, specifically. So it, it's been six years since Fox has acquired any, any, any new rights. And um, to me, it just seems that... Uh, They've kind of pretty much given up on the soccer side of things, other than the big World Cups. Uh, of course, we've got the Gold Cup. We'll have to see what the level of uh, production and quality and commitment is this summer. But uh, to me, they've, they've pretty much given up, other than the, the FIFA tournaments. Last but not least about this, Kartik, is um, price concerns. There's a lot of people that have been uh, posting on social media and other places saying, OK, this is great about ESPN Plus getting Copa America in English and Portuguese. But uh, how long how long is it going to be before they change the price from four ninety nine to I don't know twenty nine ninety nine a month? Which even at twenty nine ninety nine a month, you could argue there's enough content there, enough value to make that price point um, uh, worthwhile. And and I'm just hypothetically throwing out twenty nine ninety nine. Uh, when we interviewed uh, one of the executives from ESPN who heads up the ESPN Plus back in uh, October, I believe it was or September, September actually. Uh, we asked about the price, and they said that there's no plans anytime in the near future to increase the price. Uh, what they're doing right now is they have 2 million subscribers to ESPN+. Plus. They are actively trying to just sign up as, as many people as possible. And maybe down the road, maybe then they'll increase it sl slightly. But uh, uh, at this point in time, they are losing money. They are acquiring rights. They are acquiring subscribers. They're losing money uh, on purpose to make sure that they acquire these uh, customers, subscribers, and then uh, and then down the road, maybe slightly increase the price and, and see how it goes from there. All right, Kartik, uh, next up in the news segment, uh, speaking of ESPN, is that they've extended their deal with the International Champions Cup through 2021. So ESPN and ESPN Deportes uh, will each televise 15 matches per year in the U.S., while ESPN Plus will exclusively show up to 10 live games in both English and Spanish during the summer. The agreement grants uh, ESPN um, exclusive English and Spanish language rights to a total of 25 matches, including the annual ICC tournament and various club friendlies uh, each summer in, in the U.S. through 2021. And this week so far, I think ICC has announced that um, three clubs coming to the United States uh, for the tour, they will announce more next week, but it's uh, Manchester United, AC Milan, and Benfica. And we'll find out next Tuesday uh, who the other teams are competing in this tournament. Yeah, uh, moving on, uh, an article this week in Reuters, which was really fascinating to me, Chris, given what we went through at the FIFA conference with uh, the Club World Cup. Javier Tebas, who is, of course, the head of La Liga, has uh, has uh, slammed UEFA and their catastrophic proposals, as he calls it, to to move some Champions League games to weekends and, and 
potentially interfere with the domestic league's calendar uh, and has welcomed uh, the, the FIFA plans for the World Club Cup, which is something the European Club Association uh, has not welcomed and has pushed back on. And we also uh, uh, can say from this article that Tebas seems to be bothered that the ECA, European Club Association, which represents several uh, Spanish clubs, the big ones, uh, including uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atleti, etc., uh, have been negotiating in private with UEFA about Champions League and about the World uh, Club World Cup. So uh, maybe some cracks in the uh, unified European front against uh, FIFA's plans. All right, so let's move on to uh, TV ratings. And uh, first up, a, a couple of ratings that came out from Univision. One is that uh, the Chivas against uh, Club America game, uh, the uh, Classico, Super Classico, last Saturday um, had averaged 1.5 million uh, total viewers and uh, making it the highest rated uh, soccer match across any network in the United States in 2019 thus far. Uh, in the UEFA Champions League, the Juventus against Atleti game, uh, this one, let me look at the number, was 525,000 viewers. Uh, Barca against uh, Lyon in the Champions League 2, uh, this one had, let me see, 562,000 viewers there. Now, looking at some of the English language games, uh, we had, uh, speaking of the Champions League, we had... Juventus against Atleti on uh, TNT, 408,000 viewers for that one. And then uh, Bayern Munich against Liverpool on TNT, 454,000 viewers. Uh, the Premier League, there were select games this past weekend because we had the FA Cup. The FA Cup numbers we don't get because they're on ESPN Plus and they don't share those numbers. Uh, but Everton against Chelsea, 479,000 viewers. Fulham against Liverpool, 476,000 viewers. And uh, Burnley against Leicester. 325,000 viewers. Nakartik, we talked about Major League Soccer in the opening segment, talking about not a good look on television for the pitches that they're playing on. And um, NYCFC, at this point, have no other option. I mean, they're actively trying to get to a different stadium. Cincinnati temporarily using the stadium until um, their stadium's ready. But the TV viewers... The TV viewing numbers reflect that in, in a way. I, I don't think that's the reason that uh, the main reason that people are not watching these games, but it, it's definitely one of the factors. So the Cincinnati Portland game. This is the first game for Cincinnati at home. Uh, a lot of people tuning in into this one to see what Cincinnati is all about. One hundred seventy-eight thousand viewers. Uh, NYC uh, FC against LAFC. Two of the biggest TV markets in the country. And this one on FS1 was 140,000 viewers. So, I mean, there's not much more to say about this Kartik. It's just it's continually bad numbers for Major League Soccer on FS1, under 200,000. Uh, these games are coming up. I mean, it's on Sundays, I mean, basically from 3 to 5. They had a double header, 3 to 5 p.m. for the NYCFC game, and then 5 to 7 for the Cincinnati game. So um, not good numbers there. Listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Nuke. And Nuke says, I agree with the fan, Chris, from your pod last week. Uh, we've had season tickets to NYCFC games. Uh, awesome seats, expensive seats, free buffet. Uh, MLS is boring nine times out of ten games. I honest, honestly would rather watch Manchester United versus Wolves in the FA Cup if it came down to it. Uh, Doug Turner says, is there a reason why MLS and USL don't do midweek fixtures? Uh, I'd like to watch as many games as I can, but the nature of spoiling all the games during the broadcast kills replay value. And since they're all lumped together on the weekend, it's tough to find time to get to many of them before, head, uh, before uh, a talking head gives the, the scoreline away. What's your take on this one, Kartik? I think that that's pretty interesting. You know, the the thing that you uh, you have to understand, though, is that because MLS is shortening their season this year, they will have more midweek fixtures. So maybe, I, I, uh, Doug, your question was, would have been really uh, appropriate last season. Uh, let's uh, let's revisit this in about six months and see how it does, because uh, there will be a clutter of midweek fixtures coming up. Uh, because it, it, they've shortened the season and it's also a Gold Cup year. And uh, the Gold Cup is a tournament where I believe Major League Soccer probably sends more players than any other league, maybe Liga of Equis, but probably Major League Soccer. So uh, good question. It, it was a perfect question a year ago. MLS has actually somewhat addressed that. 
yeah, so just just wait and see on that one. It'll be coming up uh, pretty soon, some of those midweek fixtures, especially as the season goes on. Brian Battle says, uh, does MLS and Fox use flex scheduling to, sh- to choose featured matches like the NFL does? Also, do you think MLS primetime kickoff times are meant to favor uh, with teams that have TV broadcasts versus web-only deals? So, so yes, MLS and Fox, um, really MLS, does use flex scheduling uh, to really feature kind of what they think will be the games, kind of more the higher pro- profile games or the teams featuring the, the big teams uh, on, on a Sunday, for example, whether it's in the afternoon or, or primetime in the evenings. Like, for example, for the 2019 season, this season, there are not many Columbus Crew games. There are not many Colorado Rapids games. Um, and there's a reason for that. MLS is, I mean, looking at the schedule with Fox and, and other broadcasters and pick, cherry picking the games that they think will get the most number of viewers. Uh, the NYCFC, they've been pushing for years and, and it's still not happening as, as far as uh, TV viewers, even though New York is the number one, number one TV market in the country. So that's uh, the first part of your question, Brian. Uh, second part is, do you think that MLS primetime kickoffs are meant to favor uh, teams that have TV broadcasts versus web-only deals. What do you think about this one, Kartik? This is a good question. Yeah, um, I, you know, it, it, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where MLS has tried uh, the last. Uh, gosh, I, I'm trying to think how many weeks, two weeks of the season, because the fixtures are um, the fixtures are played at the same time those last two weeks to then. Uh, pick a nationally televised game uh, out of that lump of fixtures, which is the most uh, which is the most important game of the weekend or, or you know, one in one for FS1 and, and ESPN, uh, although they don't like to they're not going to go head to head. Right. So that's so it's basically um, one match that's highlighted. Yeah, um, it, it might work. But then at the same time, you have to remember, unlike the NFL, which operates largely on TV and sponsorship revenue, the number one driver for MLS is ticket revenue. If you uh, set a published uh, time of a game or if a game is TBD and um, and then you shift the game um, now, college football, uh, all the games shift because every every game seems to be on television and. You find out six days in advance when the game is, and, and those stadiums still fill up. But MLS is a little different. They depend on ticket revenue, and it's very difficult. And this has been my experience also with the lower divisions. Very difficult when you publish a start time at the beginning of the season with the kind of fans we have that buy tickets for soccer in this country to change um, change the time of the match and play it at a different time for television. So um, that's just the reality of, of the fan base. MLS has, has tried some of it, and um, there's been pushback. Luke Christopher says, uh, love the pod. I have a TV background, so I can totally nerd out. Shame I'm not in the 305 Miami-Dade anymore. I could have grabbed a pint at Chaplin's or Playwright. By the way, you can watch Sky Footy legally on YouTube. So, yeah, they have a Sky Sports uh, YouTube channel. Uh, it's not live, but they have most of the segments on there. So, you mean, as far as their analysis or and anything interesting that comes out, any interviews they've done. You can watch that. We also have Sky uh, News, which is live on YouTube. It streams there. Uh, but whenever it, whenever it comes to the sports segment, uh, they go ahead and uh, they don't play play that live uh, segment. They usually have something on tape that they show during those times, like a five-minute t- uh, time. Uh, reason being is that um, even though the Sky Sports has the rights to the games in the UK, they don't have rights to globally to those uh, to those games, whichever highlights they show. Uh, Blockchain D says, if Arsenal or Chelsea were to finish top four and then win the Europa League, would the fifth team in the Premier League get the Champions League spot? Uh, Kartik, this is a riddle. I'm not sure if you know the answer to this one. Um. And I believe the answer is no now. Uh, it used to be yes. Uh, I think that rule has changed. I am not positive. You know, they keep changing things. Now they have four automatic qualifiers. You don't have the uh, the qualifying round. Uh, so, yeah, I actually don't know the answer, but I believe it's no. Carl McClure says, uh, on Sky Sports News, for every EFL championship highlight, it was written on the screen – Pictures from ESPN Plus, despite the fact that we only get one match per day on days of matches, this makes me even more so want championship games on ESPN Plus. 
So, so to answer the first part of the question, well, actually, well, just to, to mention something, Kyle, is we st- we probably get about four games a weekend. Sometimes, well, probably th- three to five championship games a weekend. There's usually one on Friday, uh, two on Saturday, uh, sometimes one to two on on Sundays. Uh, and and if you're lucky, sometimes on a Monday, but it's very rare on, on a Monday. So 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 roughly three to four, uh, sometimes five if you're lucky. Championship games on the ESPN Plus. There's actually a lot of coverage that we do get uh, through ESPN Plus for the championship. Um, but that is interesting, Kartik, about about Kyle mentioning that uh, when they do show highlights of the EFL Championship, they're getting that that uh, the actual clips from ESPN Plus. Yes. Yes, and, and it says BamTech ESPN Plus in, in the corner on the highlights. Hmm. All right, next up is Raymond Dorosco. He says, when it comes to the CONCACAF Champions League, people talk about the timing and the wage disparity between Liga MX and MLS, but I believe the bigger talking points, um, do you believe that American investors will ever invest into sports franchises without seeing high profitable returns? Uh, I don't know. I I, I think I, I mean the, the whole question about Major League Soccer and, and how much money these uh, these owners are actually making. Um, it's a black box. It's one of those things that if you ask Don Garber, you know, how's MLS doing monetarily wise? Uh, when it becomes time for like CPA n- uh, negotiations, it's like <laughs> we're losing money. It, it, we're, this, it, it's maybe one or two teams are profitable. Everyone else is losing money. The reality is with all these these expansion fees coming in and all these sponsorship deals coming in, uh, attendance doing well, I'm sure most of the clubs are making money. How much money? We don't know, but it's it's a black box. So so to answer Raymond's question, um, some of these teams in Major League Soccer maybe is maybe more profitable than teams in Liga MX, especially if Liga MX teams are actually spending a lot more money in the transfer market. The other thing too about the transfer market, the way that MLS is set up with a single entity is that it, it kind of... Uh, it, it, we, it the, the actual transfer fees, you mean, it, it, it brings those down a little bit. What's your take on this, Kartik? I, I, I think that we've seen American owners in general are, are some of the worst owners in, in European football. I, I, there are exceptions, but I don't think um, – I think the profit motive is what drives a lot of Americans or, or investor protection um, risk mitigation. Uh, I, I'm not sure that's necessarily the case uh, with with the biggest investors from abroad. I'm not sure. Um, now, on the CONCACAF Champions League, I think there are multiple factors for MLS's uh, failures in that competition. But once again, I have to stress, I think um, – uh, I, I think the gap is not that large. I just think that there are certain things that that MLS teams are not are not getting, and and the biggest thing is the 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 limit limits in depth uh, due to league rules and the limits in when you can train due to the CBA. And those two things can be addressed, I think, relatively easily and make MLS uh, far more competitive in CONCACAF Champions League on par with Liga Mekki. So that has nothing to do with um, with, with, with some of this external stuff. So uh, I think there are actually pretty easy fixes for it, but um, they haven't been done. Last but not least, uh, the last uh, question is, or actually this is more of kind of a uh, FYI, is from John Average Geek. He says, uh, the Flow Sports DC United deal, it's the first time that DC United is getting money for its rights. I don't mind DC United uh, going over the top and, and having games streamed, but I think the price points and an unproven partner are my big issues. So yeah, it's... Um, we talked about last week, I think, the Cincinnati deal with Flow Sports. I think it's $150 a year to be able to access um, their games, their home games there. Um, yeah, unless you're a season ticket holder in D.C., then you can pay $70. So, yeah, it's $150 if you're not. Yeah, but even at $70 a deal, that's, that's still that's a pretty lot. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Um, and then on top of that, too, that's um, – I mean, you have a streaming service that has you – mean, very low quality, um, and like John says, they're an unproven partner. So, so this deal, I, I think I guessed it last week. I said they're probably they're going to this deal because they're getting more money. They're offer, I mean, Flow Sports is offering more money than the, the local TV company is, um, and John points that that out to be true. So, and that's the thing about distribution. You, you don't always want to go to the people that are offering the most amount of money. You want to go to what's best for you. You could say La Liga. You could argue that La Liga probably back in the day, back in like what, about five years ago when BN Sports acquired the rights, BN Sports I'm sure was offering the most amount of money. 
La Liga went with their deal thinking, okay, this is the best route for us. In hindsight, um, depending on who else was offering money at, the, at that time, it may have been better for them to go with somebody that was offering less money but greater distribution and uh, greater opportunities to have these games on over their television. Uh, we don't know, but uh, I'm sure that'll be coming up in, into the conversations uh, in the next 12 months when La Liga rights start the bidding for that. So listeners, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. We'd love to get your feedback and we really appreciate uh, any questions or rants or raves or feedback that you have. So listeners, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, heading into a weekend of international break games, you got the Euro 2020 qualifiers, you got friendlies, you got uh, the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers etc what should you do enjoy your football hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.